Who loves a good news story? Most of us, I think, love a good news story. I was uh, just happened to be flicking through the channels the other day and the ABC had the new series of Kindergarten for Seniors. And in this one, they have chosen some seniors who live alone. They're in their 80s and 90s. Uh, Most of them are widowed. And by their own admission in filling out a simple questionnaire, have said they have low motivation and low happiness in their life. That life isn't meaningful anymore. They have a lack of purpose. And so they were selected uh, and obviously chose to join in. And so for six weeks, they will go to kindergarten five days a week with these preschoolers. And it was only the first week that they showed in this episode, but it was wonderful to see the difference even in those five days made. Even to one of the ladies who gave up after the first day, but then came back on the fifth day. It's just one of those wonderful heartwarming stories. And isn't it wonderful, you know, children have this amazing capacity to bring joy and light into our lives and meaning and purpose. And as someone who is a relatively recent grandpa, now uh, I can share the good news. We, Christmas came early for us twice this year. We had a granddaughter, our uh, fourth grandchild, born about a month before Christmas. Uh, we weren't allowed to share the other bit of the news, but at about the same time, one of our sons and his wife told us that they were expecting a baby due in July. So we had two early Christmas presents and uh, we were beaming on the inside as well as the outside. Now, of course, this thing of losing motivation, losing happiness, losing a sense of purpose and meaning in life isn't something that just happens to old people who are living on their own. It can happen to anyone at any age in any stage in life where we find ourselves just going through the motions without a reason to get out of bed in the morning, where there's no sense of anticipation or adventure left in one's life. I went and had a look on the web just to see what the stats were around a sense of happiness and purpose. And on one website it said that 78% of Australians said they felt happy with their life, which is wonderful. 78% of us in Australia think life is worth living. The sad part is 22%, nearly a quarter of all Australians are unhappy with their life. And any of us, even if we're in that 78%, can potentially find ourselves in that 22%. Some of you may even say by your own admission, that's where I am now. Whether that's through a, a, a perception because of mental health issues or self-esteem issues or related things, or whether it's because of the impact of life in some way. Circumstances change and the thing that gave you meaning and purpose is no longer there. A deep loss or bereavement. The impact of others negatively on you. They begin to weigh you down or close you off. Now compare that to what is a constant theme throughout the Bible from beginning to end, that we are created for a purpose by God, that he has planned in advance for us. God has a, 
and divine purpose for each one of us, the Bible says, from beginning to end. A purpose that is aligned with God's heart and his character and his will. It's God's plan, not just for a special few, but for all people. To live a life that has a positive impact on other people and the rest of creation. To live a life that is pleasing to God, but also a blessing to you and others. And the Bible says that's the way it should be for everyone. And we see it first in Genesis. In the story of creation, in Genesis chapter 1 at the very beginning of the Bible, when God crowns his creation with the best part of his creation as he sees it, man and woman. And then he says to them in Genesis 1 verse 28, have many children and grow in number. Be fruitful, in other words. Fill the earth and be its master. Some people would say it's ruler, some translation, it's the steward over my creation. Rule over the fish in the sea and over the birds in the sky and over every living thing that moves on earth. Be good stewards of the rest of my creation, God says. That's your purpose. But then it's further bookended in the New Testament in verses like this in Ephesians 2 verse 10. God has made us what we are. In and through Christ Jesus, God made us so that we could do good works which God planned in advance for us to live our lives doing. And then in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, each of you should use whatever spiritual gift you have received from God and God gives each of us a gift or gifts to use as a tool to love other people. Each of you should use whatever spiritual gift you have received from God to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. We're set apart in our creation to live this life that God has planned in advance for us to do. And it doesn't matter if you're born uh, in whatever country, it doesn't matter if you're born a Christian or a Muslim or a Hindu or a Buddhist or an atheist, that's still God's plan for you, whether you know it or not. God has set you apart to live such a life. And Jesus summed it up, this, summed up this purposeful life when asked, what are the greatest commandments? And he responded, love God with your whole being and love your neighbour as you would love yourself. And if I can paraphrase and expand on those two commandments, I think Jesus is saying something like this, live with God first in your life, showing your love for him through your trust of him and your obedience to him all the while enjoying your relationship with him as your heavenly father, your good, good heavenly father. And the second is like it. Live in such a way that in your interactions with others, as much as it depends on you, serve them in ways that will benefit them no matter who they are and enjoy the mutual best blessings that will flow from such a life. That's how life is meant to work. In fact, it is actually the only way that life will fully work is to live according to God's plan and purpose for you. Now, not everyone realises that, sadly, and some of us are late to the party, so to speak. But David, 
was a man who understood or began to understand that as a young man, as a child, as a teenager, that he was set apart by God, not because he was someone special, and at that point he was an unknown, but because he understood something of God's heart for all people, that that's just the way it's meant to be. Now David was the son of Jesse. He lived around 1100 BC, give or take, you know, some decades either side. His father owned a lot of sheep and so David spent his boyhood looking after the sheep out in the hills for his dad, which meant he probably had a fair bit of kind of downtime, which led him to be very good with a slingshot. But he was also understood, had this deep understanding at a young age of the goodness of God and that God was for him and that God was with him. He was also a musician. He played the lyre, a bit like a a small harp, and he was very creative with words and poetic. And his understanding of God and that God was with him and for him led him to do some very brave things as a young man, to defend the sheep from lions and bears and even kill them. And then one day, not because he had planned to, but he just happened to be there when Goliath was taunting taunting the Israelite soldiers and they were just cowering behind their barricades and David said, what gives, guys? And he goes out there with nothing but his slingshot and slays Goliath, the Philistine giant. What David didn't know was that God had, beyond that general set-apartness, he had a specific plan for him. And David didn't realise that till he was a, an older teenager when the prophet Samuel came and anointed him and said, God's going to make you one day king of Israel. Now, between that day and when he actually became king was many years. And during that time, the current king, Saul, who first liked David, then ostracised him and outcast him and actually wanted to kill him. And so David spent many years on the run, watching his back, looking over his shoulder, hiding in caves and finding sanctuary wherever he could. And during that time, he began to write some of the Psalms that we now have in the Bible which he continued to do through the ups and downs as his reign later on as king. And during that time he wrote this psalm, Psalm 4, that we still have today, a psalm of David. And let me read it to you. Answer me when I call to you, my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. How long will you people turn my glory into shame? How long will you love delusions and seek false gods? Know that the Lord has set apart his faithful servant for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. When you are angry, do not sin. When you are on your bed, search your hearts and be silent. Offer the sacrifices of the righteous and trust in the Lord. Many, Lord, are asking, who will bring us prosperity? Let the light of your face shine on us and fill my heart with joy when their grain and new wine abound. In peace I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. In verse 3, David 
makes this statement, know that the Lord has set apart his faithful servant for himself. It was both a statement of truth and a reminder to himself. There were many times in David's life when others were saying, who is David, son of Jesse? He is nothing. He's a little gnat, we can squash him. But David would declare to himself what he knew was true, that he was chosen and that he was set apart no matter what anyone else said, that God was with him and God was for him. And like David, we too need to remind ourselves of what is true, that God has set us apart. Whether we fully yet understand what that means, it is true. No matter what anyone else might say about us, it is true. God has set you apart. Now, our role may be different to David's. We might be a caregiver, a parent. We might be a witness in our workplace, someone who invites others to church. We, there's a myriad of things that God has set us apart for in that unique contribution that we can make. But it is just as true. You are set apart by God. But it's also a reminder to us that for life to work well, we need to live this set-apart life. Not just talk about it, not just know about it, but actually to action it in our own lives as best we understand what that means. You know, I have some tools, well, I have quite a few tools that I've accumulated in my shed over the years. And I have a few that don't get used for what they were made for. Who has tools like that in their shed? A few guys, yep. Maybe some ladies as well. One's a screwdriver. It's actually one I made at high school. But these days I use it for all kinds of things, including opening tins of paint, some of which are old and need a lot of leverage. It's now blunt and bent. It's no longer able to screw up or unscrew screws. You know, our life can be like that screwdriver of mine. We can seek to do things that God did not set us apart for, to live a life he didn't call us to live and we will get worn down, we will be ineffective and we will lose our way. But we can also be like David and get to know Jesus and as best we understand it, live out this set apart life that God has planned in advance for us. Now, in getting started on this set-apart life, don't wait for an audible voice or for a prophet to rock up with some anointing oil because we have the Bible. It's God's instruction manual, full of God's wisdom about how to live this life that he set us apart for. If you haven't read it, start reading it if you want to understand what this set-apart life looks like, what God's heart is so that we can follow in his footsteps, it has recorded in there the living example of Jesus and how he lived out that life so that we might follow him. And that's why one of our four hope values is open to God's word because the set-apart person opens God's word and reads it and lets it shape his or her life. Now, there's a general set-apart life that we're all called to live, but like David, God has a unique contribution that he sets us apart to make. And again, we don't 
wait till we hear an audible voice from God to find that. The best way to understand what your unique contribution is is to start to serve somewhere. And along the way, as you begin to serve others, God will refine your understanding of how he's shaped you and what he's called you particularly to do. And do it with others because they can give you feedback and help you understand how God has shaped you for a unique contribution that he has set you apart for. Now in the rest of the psalm, we see something of the heart of the person who lives this set-apart life. And the first is that they live with confident humility. David wrote, answer me when I call you, my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. How long will you people turn my glory into shame? How long will you love the delusions and seek false gods? The Lord hears when I call to him. God knew that David David knew that God was with him and for him. That gave him confidence. He knew that God heard his petitions. But he also knew that being set apart doesn't mean that life would be easy and just be this wonderful kind of cushy ride into heaven. David doesn't deny the hurdles he faces. And so in the face of that kind of tension, David on one hand doesn't demand, God, well, I'm set apart, you have to. He asks of God, trusting in God's good grace. But David doesn't despair either and give up. He continues and he continues to trust God. And so in the face of needs, he asks God with humble confidence or confident humility. He was always confident in God's grace and power and provision. Now, humility and confidence, sometimes people think, well, they're kind of poles apart. No, they really should always be together because they both come out of a right understanding of who God is and who we are in relation to God. A set-apart person will always live with confident humility. Now, secondly, a set-apart person acknowledges their vulnerability. In verse 4, David says, When you are angry, do not sin. When you're on your bed, search your hearts and be silent. You see, being set-apart doesn't make you perfect and it doesn't make you invincible. You have human limits and like all of us, we remain vulnerable to temptation and sin. And we see that attitude in the prayer that Jesus taught us. Lord, forgive me my sins. Lord, give us our daily bread. You know, I've met Christians who are confident, but I'm not sure they're that humble. Having just witnessed someone else sin badly and fall from grace, they say, that'll never happen to me. And as soon as they say that, I know that they are vulnerable because they are blind to what could happen to them. They are a sitting duck. And I met one pastor briefly who um, had said, no, I don't need to be part of support networks with other pastors. And then the next week I heard that he had been caught having an affair with someone in his church that wasn't his wife. 
The wise person knows they are vulnerable. And so they pause now and then, especially under times of pressure or emotional turmoil. They stop, they still their heart. They get a grip on their feelings and they assess the dangers to their soul so that they may not sin. Thirdly, the set apart keep their faith active and focused. David goes on and writes, Offer the sacrifices of the righteous and trust in the Lord. Many, Lord, are asking who will bring us prosperity. They're beginning to look elsewhere. They've forgotten God for some reason. Fill my heart with joy. Sorry, David says, first of all, let the light of your face shine us, shine on us. Fill my heart with joy when their grain and new wine abound. You know, it's easy to start with a bang and with kind of the zeal of faith, but it's a lot harder to stay the course. Many times David faced a growing chorus from people who began to look elsewhere for leadership, who began to say, is God really with David? I think God's more with that person. Well, even if God isn't, I think they are a better leader than David. We'll go with them. But beyond even those external voices can bear our own weariness, our disappointments, even with God, the slow pace that God seems to be at in answering our prayers, or there being less fruit as you've sought to live this faithful life that God has called you to and not much seems to be happening over the years. We can all be tempted to take shortcuts, to take things into our own hands, to look to someone else or somewhere else. But the faithful will take David's lead and they will keep their faith active and focused on God no matter what. Let the light of your face shine on us, David kept saying. When God's good provision unfolds, the set apart are always the first to give thanks to God. Whether it's provision that has come their way or they see God's good provision given to others, maybe even their enemies, they rejoice because they can see the hand of God and his goodness. Those who know they are set apart keep trusting God alone. And then lastly, The set-apart remain a non-anxious presence in the world. In verse 8, he finishes with these words, In peace I will lie down and sleep. How many times have you wished that for yourself? For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. In 1993, I met an older man named Rob. He was about 70 when I first met him. He was a lay preacher out at Pinaroo where I was the pastor at the time. He preached his first sermon when he was 14. He was a man of just a wonderful, lively faith. But in his 20s, he'd been married a few years and his wife unexpectedly and without reason, as far as he understood, left him. And it left him in emotional turmoil. He was distraught beside himself. But each night when he went to bed, he would recite that verse to himself and remind himself who his God was and that his God was with him so that he might sleep in peace. 
Jesus himself said in John 16, the night he was betrayed, I've told you all these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. It's not just going to be a cakewalk just because you follow me. But take heart, I have overcome the world. The thing is our life will not always outwardly be in peace. It can be in utter turmoil, but we can still know peace in the midst of the whirlwind. And it's both a gift and a choice. A gift because Jesus is able as the Prince of Peace to guard our hearts and our minds with a peace that passes understanding. That doesn't make sense, but he's able to do that for us. But it's also a choice, like Dave and like Rob, who faced turmoil. They chose to remind themselves each day that God was with them and that God was for them and to choose afresh to rely on the Prince of Peace to be with them. So what is your next move, having heard this psalm this morning? Is it to begin a relationship with Jesus, the Prince of Peace, who has set you apart for a purpose and begin to walk with him in those first steps? Is it to start reminding yourself, even if you've already started a relationship with Jesus, to actively remind yourself that you are set apart for a purpose that God has planned in advance for you to do. And it is a good plan. It is good works that will bring blessing to others, blessing to you and joy to your heavenly Father. Or do you need to intentionally begin to practice confident humility? To actually, when you pray, pray as though you believe it without losing the humility, being aware of your vulnerabilities, of knowing that you're not perfect and you need God's help? Is it taking time when you're under pressure, when emotions are high, to actually deliberately pause and take a deep breath and allow Jesus to help you chart a different response than you normally would to that life situation? Maybe even in that to ask him to forgive you for the times that in your anger you have sinned and maybe even to go to those you have hurt and ask their forgiveness. Do you need to take control of your worried, filled thoughts with Jesus' help and focus afresh on him as the Prince of Peace and allow his peace to guard your hearts and minds rather than thinking the only way I'll get peace is if I can sort it out myself in my head. The fact is sometimes you never will. I know. I've tried. And it's only when I've surrendered to Jesus that I know his peace in those moments, even when I don't have the answers. Let's pray. If you're watching online, you might like to make yourself comfortable in this moment. Just remove any distractions that might be there. Lord Jesus, right now we declare together in our hearts that it is true 
I am set apart by you for a good purpose that you have planned in advance for me to do. Lord, we acknowledge that even those of us who have been on this journey for a while, we don't always get it right. Some of us haven't even begun and there may even be some of us in this prayerful moment who need to acknowledge you've actually avoided it. Lord, forgive us where we've turned our back on you. Forgive us where we've let our faith drift to ourselves or someone or something else. Forgive us where we've been arrogant in our own ability and been blind to our own vulnerabilities. Lord, help us to be more like David, the better part of David, that lives with this confident humility, knowing that you are with us and for us, that you have a good plan and purpose for us, to live with confident humility, not downplaying our faith or our trust in you, not downplaying our gifts and our calling, but also aware that we need your help every moment of every day. Lord, help us to be quick to refocus our faith when it drifts and to live by faith that it would be an active faith each day, not something we just pull out of the drawer when we think we need it. Lord, so that we can be the people that you called us to be, that we can be the people who live the life that you've set us apart to live, that we can be the people that find joy and blessing in life because we live that good life you've planned for us. But more than that, Lord, that through that life we would be a powerful witness to the world, to everyone else, that they too are called and set apart, even if they don't know it yet, that they might discover what we are learning ourselves is true for them. Lord, that your church would grow as more and more begin to live according to your pattern in a relationship with you alongside of us near and far. And Lord, we conclude this prayer to say thank you again for your grace because it is by your grace that we are saved and it is by your grace that we can become who you created us to be. Praise be to you. Amen.